Hello, everyone. This is Lisa Colon Delay, and you're listening to Spark My Muse. You're also listening to Soul School, the 250th episode, SSL Soul School Lesson 250. It's unbelievable to me that I've done 250 of these solo episodes. I've also done over 200 guest episodes. And when you've done something like this, a podcast for seven and a half years or so, you begin to think, maybe I'm figuring this thing out. Today I'm going to be reading a little bit from Try Softer by Andy Kobler. I'm pretty sure I had this book in my possession and I must have lent it out. I couldn't find it when I wanted it. And I'm working on a book that incorporates some of the things that Andy puts in here. And it is such a great resource, especially good if you're perfectionistic or hard on yourself, if you've dealt with a lot of judgmentalism or trauma, if you've found a way to be harsh on yourself and get stuck in these sort of ways. Something was said by our interim pastor on Sunday. His name is Pastor Bowler Jack. I wanted to incorporate it into the Soul School lesson today because it really got me to thinking. A lot of times we don't live lives saturated in grace and moving towards love because we make other people's opinion our burdens. We are stuck and burdened by them. A really important boundary to set is to be able to say, maybe not even out loud, but in our minds, your opinion is not my burden. To live a life that revolves around grace, that is saturated in grace, the grace of God toward us, it means that you're not in charge of your own life. You can't perform to get more love. And no one else is in charge of it either. You can't perform and appease people to get their love either. It just doesn't work. The system is broken like that. And although we've tried and we've been in plenty of human relationships that are conditional based on our performance or our attitude, how we are treated is based on how we act or perform, that is not the kind of life that is centered in grace. To become love is to become like Jesus and to become love made flesh. I'd like to start reading a little bit of Try Softer, a fresh approach to move us out of anxiety, stress, and survival mode and into a life of connection and joy, beginning on page 193. She writes, Trying Softer isn't about knowing or doing the right thing. It's about being gentle with ourselves in the face of pain that is keeping us stuck. Because no matter how hard we try, we can't hate or shame ourselves into change. Only love can move us toward true growth. This is the love given to us by a gentle, kind, compassionate, good God. And this is the love we are invited to give ourselves, too. Kristen Neff, the foremost researcher in the field of self-compassion, points out that compassion is different from empathy in that empathy is feeling with someone else, whereas compassion means to suffer with someone and allow ourselves to be moved by that pain so we are motivated into action. Our ability to be compassionate with ourselves strengthens the eternal secure base within us and therefore calms our nervous systems, giving ourselves the attachment repair that we may not have received as children. On the side of this page, she has try softer affirmations. 
And what affirmations can do is just change our way of thinking a little bit, get it to shift for us so that the monologues we play in our minds shift from being negative monologue to being much gentler, much kinder with the kindness, love, and gentleness we should be treating other people. We should be treating ourselves that way as well. Some of us are terrible at that. I am chief among them. Some of these affirmations are, I have choices. I can set boundaries. It's okay to disappoint people. I am capable. I am loved no matter what. I am valuable. I can ask for support. It's okay to need help. My emotions give me information. My body supports me. My body gives me information. I am responsible for only myself. It is okay to take care of myself. This emotion is temporary. I am beloved. Some of these affirmations just kind of underscore the truth that we should be leaning into and understanding. We do know that it's okay to take care of ourselves, but sometimes we don't act like it. We put our needs aside and we muscle through and we burn out. We know that our emotions give us information, but sometimes we shove our emotions aside and we don't listen at all. When we're having an emotion, we don't always think it's temporary. Emotions are always temporary. They switch. They come in and out like the weather. It's okay to disappoint people. That's a really radical affirmation for people pleasers and people who have learned to find love and acceptance and approval and safety by making sure that other people are happy and making sure they're doing everything possible to make other people happy. A lot of times we don't realize how the fawn trauma response has worked its way so deeply into our lives. We just think we're helpful people or we just think we're trying to be kind. But actually, sometimes we're engaged in a lot of fawning out of trauma, trying to please people and not incite violence or tension or hostility towards ourselves. We do all kinds of pleasing and smoothing over things and trying to get people to laugh or break the tension. It's important to know that we can wind up disappointing people and we are still lovable and things will still be okay. There is a three-pronged approach that Andy details that is extremely helpful for the work of trying softer because it enables us to learn to tolerate our feelings without getting stuck in them. The first one is mindfulness versus over-identification. It says, earlier in the book, we discussed the practice of mindfulness and the way it helps us cultivate attention and strengthen the prefrontal cortex of our brains. Another benefit of mindfulness is that it gives us the ability to observe something in a non-judgmental way, allowing us to honor our suffering without getting stuck in the emotion. I'm just going to pause for a second here to say a non-judgmental way is a way that doesn't make up our mind about what something is or isn't. It just holds it loosely. Instead of making a decision and a judgment about what a feeling is, you hold off on that judgment. You hold off on your final answer. 
you can observe something in a non-judgmental way when you observe it just with curiosity and you haven't made your mind up yet. Going on, Andy says, according to Kristen Neff, pairing self-compassion with mindfulness is key to our ability to respond gently to ourselves. I'm going to pause again and say that if we can grow to respond gently to ourselves, truly gently and kindly to ourselves, that is what creates our ability to respond that way to others. It is not possible. I want to say this as firmly and strongly as I can. It is not possible to truly and consistently respond gently and kindly to others on a regular basis if we can't do it to ourselves. And there are a lot of people out there that don't understand this. They think they can be one way to other people, kind, gentle, loving, but not to themselves. There's a blind spot there for understanding how this works. You can only offer to others what you have already offered to yourself. If mindfulness is about noticing our experience, self-compassion is about doing something with what we now know without becoming over-identified with the experience. If we start to become over-identified or overwhelmed with an emotion, we can use a grounding skill and come back to the emotion later. However, once we can tolerate observing an emotion, the other pieces of self-compassion can be quite powerful. The second one is self-kindness versus self-judgment. When we practice self-compassion, we extend the same kindness to ourselves that we might lend to a stranger, a friend, or a loved one. Instead of thinking we deserve harsher treatment than others, we give ourselves grace. Often when working with people who have difficulty being kind to themselves, I ask them to think about someone toward whom they feel a sense of love or compassion, which makes it easier to direct those same feelings toward themselves. From a faith perspective, we know God feels tremendous compassion toward us. What if we let ourselves experience that compassion too? I recently asked a client to do this. She told me about her five-year-old niece, whom she adored. Then I said, I know you're struggling to give yourself gentleness right now. I wonder if you could picture your niece alone and sad. Yes, she replied slowly. Okay, I want you to give yourself a hug like you might hug your niece if someone told her she was worthless. Can you do that? Yes, I'll try. I was grateful she was willing to do so because the truth is that physical touch, even for ourselves, can release oxytocin in our brains. This is the hormone neurotransmitter that allows mothers and babies to bond with one another that's released when we fall in love and that helps us feel more loving toward ourselves too. The third one is common humanity versus isolation. Suffering is not isolated. It's common to all humanity. Our world is broken. Sin exists. We are fragile. When we recognize that we are not unique in experiencing suffering, we are more likely to see ourselves as worthy of compassion. We are also less likely to feel as if we are alone. Instead, we feel more connected with the human experience. When we think of friends in our lives who are also struggling, we remember that though the sources of their pain are different, we are not alone, and this can make a huge difference to us. I'm going to stop right there in the reading, and I might pick up at a later date with some more. The book is just chock full of wisdom and extremely helpful advice to those of us who have learned to treat ourselves poorly. 
I also want to transition to inviting you to something coming up in February. There are only five spots, and I'm sorry that there aren't more, but since this is the first time I'm doing this, I'm going to start out with a small group first. As many of you know by now, I've traveled to Puerto Rico a number of times this year, and I've been helping out there where I can. Then Hurricane Fiona hit. 100% of the power was knocked out in Puerto Rico. 100% of the customers of Luma, the power company, were without power. If you didn't have a generator, you didn't have clean water, and you didn't have any power. For several days, no one did. This meant you couldn't charge your phone, your food went bad, and you had to buy bottled water if you could. My heart is in Puerto Rico, wanting to help the people who are still suffering there. There are still people who don't have power since that time. A lot of people have told me, I wish I could go to Puerto Rico with you or help out. I wish I could see the beautiful beaches and the historic sites. And so I want to invite you to do that if you'd like to do it. You can go to sparkmymuse.com and follow the link to get some of the details for that. And since there are only five spots available, this will probably fill up fast. So if you're at all interested, let me know and I'll save you a spot. It'll be $289 and that will cover lodging for four nights and five days, transportation to the places we're going to go, a family meal each day, breakfast options and snacks. We'll be sure to be helping people in need with the organizations that are already in place there. But we'll also go to the beaches, historic sites, have cultural experiences, enjoy the food and the music. I just want to be your host and your guide for my beautiful island. And I want to make sure that people down there receive the help that they need. So I'd love to meet you there. If that interests you, make sure you get in contact with me. Whether you want to come to Puerto Rico or just help your neighbor, I hope that as you begin to treat yourself with more kindness and gentleness, as you begin to give yourself more compassion and empathy, that it naturally extends out to the people around you. It will make it so much easier to do that. May God bless you, and may you have peace. Mm-hmm.